We now come to questions to Prime Minister Jason McCartney. Uh, number one, please, Mr. Speaker. Prime Minister. Mr. Speaker, I, I know the whole House will want to join me in expressing my deepest sympathies to the families and friends of Sergeant Matt Ratana, who was tragically killed in Croydon on Friday. It is a reminder of the huge debt we owe uh, to those who put their own lives at risk to keep us safe every day. Mr Speaker, tomorrow sees the start of Black History Month. For generations, countless people of African and Caribbean descent have been shaping our nation's story, making a huge difference to our national and cultural life, and helping to make Britain a better place to be. And this is a fantastic moment to celebrate their contribution to our country. Mr Speaker, this meeting I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others in addition to my duties in this House. I shall have further such meetings later today. Uh, thank you, um, Mr Speaker. The events sector, which includes weddings, festivals, conferences and music events, supports nearly a million jobs and is worth over £30 billion to the UK economy. It's been devastated by COVID. Revenue is down 90% since last year. Will the Prime Minister look at financial support focusing on grants, not just loans, especially for freelancers, including musicians and performers? And will the government support proactive COVID-secure testing events to boost confidence and start to allow the events industry to support itself? Yeah. Uh, Mr Speaker, my honourable friend is absolutely right to champion the sector in the way that he does. The £1.57 billion Culture Recovery Fund is clearly intended to support those organisations and uh, the freelancers uh, that he mentions. I think the vision that he lays out uh, for people going to at, uh, events that, where people could be tested before they go is absolutely right. And I hope that when that day comes, the public will show their support uh, for this vital sector by visiting theatres as they reopen. We now come to the Leader of the Opposition, Keir Starmer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I join the Prime Minister in sending my deepest condolences to the family and friends of Sergeant Matt Ratana? This was a truly appalling incident, and I have to say, every time I contemplate the circumstances, I shudder, and I suspect I'm speaking for a lot of people when I say that. It reminds us of the huge debt that we owe all of our police officers and the risks that they take every day to keep us safe. Mr Speaker, over 16 million people, that's about one in four, are now living under local restrictions. In recent months, 48 areas in England have gone into local restrictions, but only one has ever come out and stayed out. That's Luton. Why does the Prime Minister think that is? Prime Minister. Well, Mr Speaker, the, the Right Honourable Gentleman is absolutely right to uh, draw attention to the importance of local uh, lockdown measures, and uh, I can just uh, tell him and tell the House that since I last updated the House, he's absolutely right to say that uh, there is now a serious and uh, growing uh, problem with the resurgence of the, of the virus, and that's why we brought forward the package of measures that we did uh, last week. The reason, I think, for the success of, uh, of Luton uh, is that local people uh, pulled together uh, to depress the virus, to follow the guidance, and that is the, the way forward uh, for the entire country. And that is what we did before in, uh, in March and April, and I've no doubt that that is what we're going to do again. Yeah. Mr Speaker, when local restrictions were introduced, the Prime Minister described them as a whack-a-mole strategy. 
That implies that at some stage the mole goes down and restrictions are lifted. But in fact, in some lockdown areas, infection rates are still going up. And in towns like Bradford, Bury, and Oldham, restrictions have now been in place for months. For many of those communities that are affected, things feel like they're getting worse, not better. So I ask a question on their behalf. What is the Prime Minister's strategy for bringing these cases out of restrictions so they can see their families again? Well, Mr Speaker, nobody wants to impose uh, restrictions of this kind, uh, whether in Bradford or uh, anywhere else in the, in the country. And uh, we work very closely with local authorities uh, to ensure that we have the right mix uh, of the approach that we, that we adopt. But frankly, when you have the virus going up in the way that it is now in, in some parts of the, of the country, you have to take strong local action. I think one important difference between the, the, the way the virus is behaving this time and in the spring is it does appear at the moment as though uh, the illness is more localised. That's why you need direct local action of the kind that we're taking in addition in addition to the strong national measures that we announced last, uh, last week and uh, which he supported and whose effect we hope to see in the coming days and weeks. Mr Speaker, one of the major problems, as we've seen in the last 24 hours, is widespread confusion about the local restrictions. And I don't just mean the Prime Minister not knowing his own rules. Having sat opposite the Prime Minister at PMQs every week, that didn't come as a surprise to me. But let me quote to him, let me quote to him the Conservative Council leader in Bolton, the Conservative leader. He said this about the government's handling of restrictions. It's breeding resentment. It's become too complex, too complicated. People feel very let down and very frustrated and very forgotten. Mr Speaker, if the Prime Minister doesn't understand the rules and his own council leaders are complaining about mixed messages, how does the Prime Minister expect the rest of the country to understand and follow the rules? Uh, Mr Speaker, actually, I think that uh, the people in this country do understand and overwhelmingly do follow the rules. And that, I may say, is in, is in spite of the, in spite of the uh, efforts of the, of the Leader of the Opposition uh, continually uh, to try uh, to snipe from the sidelines, uh, to undermine uh, what, we are, what, we are trying, uh, what we are trying to do. And, uh, I, and he mentions, he mentions the, the restrictions in, in the northeast, uh, and I cleared that matter, matter up as fast as I, as I could. It's very clear that you shouldn't mix uh, indoors, either at, uh, at home or in a hospitality setting, and you should avoid uh, socialising outdoors. That is that we need to apply that in the northeast because that is where it is spiking. I think people do understand why we're doing that. I think people too do get it. I think people want us to defeat this virus, and they want to see us doing it together, Mr Speaker. And so can I invite him? Uh, you know, sometimes he, he backs the government, sometimes he, sno he snipes from the sidelines. Can, can I ask him uh, to be a little bit consistent, show some support, let, let's, let's hear him try and instil some confidence in the British people in the measures that he, that he supports, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, the idea, the idea that anybody who asks the Prime Minister a question, at Prime Minister's questions, yeah. is undermining the government effort, is wearing a bit thin. Yeah. We, we have openly supported the restrictions, but it's perfectly reasonable to ask why they're not working. Yeah. Mr Speaker, 
Mr Speaker, I spoke to the leader of Newcastle Council yesterday. He said the other big problem, apart from government messaging, is the lack of economic support being provided to local communities under restrictions. Newcastle Council indicate that by the end of the year, 10,000 jobs in hospitality will have been lost. Many businesses are forced to stay closed. Prime Minister, but for these extraordinary restrictions, these are viable jobs. These businesses are doing the right thing. Why has the government decided that these jobs aren't worth saving? Well, uh, Mr Speaker, we're going to, we've, as I said repeatedly, we're putting our arms around the whole of the UK economy. We will do everything we can to save, to save every job. I must say, I saw the, I saw the, leader of, uh, the Labour leader of, uh, of Newcastle, and I was rather surprised by what he said, because actually, uh, uh, to the best of my knowledge, they were calling for the measures uh, that we put in. And, and, and the, the, best way, the best way to protect our jobs and our economy is to continue to work together uh, to, uh, to comply with the measures, to drive down the virus, to keep our children in education, which is an absolute priority for this country and to keep the economy moving. That's what we want to do. Now, that's, this, that's the strategy, that's the approach that he supported last week. Uh, he now says he, he, he simultaneously attacks and doesn't attack uh, the restrictions. Which is it? He's got to make up his mind. Uh, if, if, he, if he supports the government policy, if he supports these restrictions, will he say so now? I support the restrictions. I've done so every single time the Prime Minister has introduced it. He, he well knows that. The question I've asked is, because of the restrictions, lots of people's jobs are at risk. Lots of people's jobs, 10,000 people's jobs in Newcastle in hospitality because of the restrictions. I, respond, I support the restrictions. What I'm asking the Prime Minister is, can the economic support go in for those that will lose their jobs? And he didn't answer that. There's 10,000 people that wanted an answer to that last question because they're going to lose their jobs by Christmas. Prime Minister, you really should have answered it. The reality is that the Chancellor's made a political choice to reduce economic support just when the new health restrictions are coming in. If the Prime Minister doesn't accept that from me, if the Prime Minister doesn't accept that from me, maybe he'll listen to the following example from the Chancellor's own constituency. This is the business owner, Prime Minister. You might want to listen to what he has to say. We own a wedding venue in Richmond, North Yorkshire. The, the Chancellor's latest plan does nothing to help us. We can't employ people to work in events that the government are not allowing to take place. Our events team are looking in the face of redundancy as we simply can't afford to pay wages when events are in lockdown. These jobs here are viable if only the government would allow us to return to work. My events team, he goes on to say, are talented and fantastic, and it's an insult to suggest their jobs are not worth saving. So this isn't about supporting restrictions, Prime Minister. It's about what the Prime Minister has to say to those that are at risk of losing their jobs and businesses. What, on behalf of the Chancellor, does he say to that business owner? Can I just, just, just say, look, it's very important, but just to remind everybody, it is Prime Minister's questions, not opposition questions. Prime Minister. Well, I'm very grateful, Mr Speaker, because uh, I think that the, the answer... Uh, is is very clear, and I think last week the uh, the Labour Party supported 
uh, the package, the winter economic plan uh, that the Chancellor put forward. And I think that most people looking at the 190 billion uh, that we've uh, invested in supporting uh, people across this country will, will recognise, which is, by the way, uh, the, and the furlough plan alone was far more generous, is far more generous than any other European country. I think most people around the world can see that this government is putting its arms around the people of this country, helping them through, and we will, we will help. And I know that the wedding sector has had a particularly tough time. And I, of course, I feel uh, for the gentleman uh, that he refers to in Richmond in Yorkshire who's, uh, who wants his business to go ahead. But the best way forward uh, for him and for all other business in the country is if we all pull together now, get the virus down, keep the, keep the economy moving. And in the meantime, yes, of course, this government is able to supply the support that is needed, which, by the way, is only possible because we had a prudent, sensible, one-nation, conservative party in power over the last ten years, and the, the Labour Party would have bankrupted the country. Mr. Mr Speaker, it's refreshing to hear the Prime Minister trying to dig the Chancellor out of a hole for a change, but I don't think that will wash. The Prime Minister just doesn't get it. The problem with his argument is this. These are viable jobs, Prime Minister, but for the restrictions. The vacancies for new jobs just don't exist, and the training scheme the Prime Minister announced yesterday doesn't start until April. There is a gap here, and the Prime Minister shouldn't be so tin-eared to those whose jobs are at risk. Finally, Mr Speaker, tomorrow marks the start of Black History Month. As well as celebrating the huge contribution black people have made to the UK, we must also reflect on the present and the structural inequalities and discrimination that sadly persist. For example, black women in the UK are five times more likely to die in pregnancy and childbirth. That is truly shocking. Will the Prime Minister commit to addressing this and launch an urgent investigation into the issue? Uh, the Right Honourable Gentleman knows full well that this Government has launched a, an urgent investigation into inequalities across the whole of society, and, uh, and, and we will certainly address them in a, in a, in a, in a thoroughgoing way. And, and I'm amazed that he, uh, that he seems ignorant of, uh, of that fact. Uh, absolutely, absolutely amazed. I mean, Mr Speaker, uh, it, it is a quite extraordinary state of affairs, uh, the, the, the Honourable Right Honourable Gentleman's general line of questioning, because one, one week, one, in fact, one moment he's supporting the restrictions. The next moment, uh, he seems to, be, uh, seems to be opposing them. One, one day, they're, they're theoretically marching side by side with the rest of us trying to defeat coronavirus. The next minute, they're off in the undergrowth, firing uh, from, the, from the sidelines. And I must, I must repeat it. It was the Right Honourable Lady, the Shadow Education Secretary, who really revealed uh, what Labour is all about, what the opposition is all about. She said this was a good crisis which they intended to exploit. We see this, we see this as a moment for the nation to come together, and that's what we're doing. And we, and we are taking the tough decisions that will get this country forward, take this country forward, not just the, uh, the lifetime skills guarantee, which he was kind enough uh, to mention, but also the huge investments we're making in the NHS, in our policing, in affordable housing. This is, the, this is the government, this is the party that is taking the tough decisions to take this country forward, while I'm afraid, Mr Speaker, once again, all they want to do is snipe from the sidelines. David Mundell. Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. Does my right honourable friend agree with me that it's essential that the iniquitous 
tariffs that the US has placed on Scotch malt whisky be removed during the current presidential term? And therefore, will he commit the government as a matter of urgency to reach a bilateral agreement with the US uh, on the Airbus Boeing dispute so that that can happen? Uh, Mr Speaker, I am grateful to my right honourable friend for raising this important matter. I have raised several times myself with uh, President Trump uh, and others in the US administration. Uh, we will continue to take a very robust line, and it, it cannot be right uh, that uh, American consumers should continue to pay over the odds uh, for scotch. It cannot be right that this discrimination uh, should continue, and we will fight it every step of the way. We now come to the Leader of the SNP, Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I associate myself with the remarks of the Prime Minister and the Leader of the Opposition for the murder of Sergeant Matt Ratana? A truly shocking incident, and we should applaud the efforts of our police and all our emergency services that do a wonderful job to keep the rest of us safe. Our thoughts are very much with Matt's family, friends and colleagues. And indeed, to associate myself with the remarks of the Leader of the Opposition on Black History Month and the responsibility that we all have to eradicate inequality. Uh, Mr Speaker, Yesterday, the Scottish Social Attitudes Survey revealed that just 15% of people trust the UK government to work in Scotland's interest. Last night, Scotland's MPs voted overwhelmingly against the Tory power grab bill. But the Prime Minister forced it through anyway in the biggest attack on our Scottish Parliament in the history of devolution. So can I ask the Prime Minister if he cares to listen, and it's not a difficult question, why does he think the people of Scotland have no trust in him or his government? Uh, Mr Speaker, I'm afraid that uh, he's completely wrong in what he says about the, uh, the internal market bill, and, uh, and, and perhaps uh, the people of Scotland deserve to, to hear a clearer account of what it does from him. Uh, the, the, after all, this bill devolves, uh, which is, I believe, support, this bill, which is, I believe, supported by uh, the right honourable general leader of the opposition, uh, actually devolves power uh, back down to uh, back to Scotland, gives power uh, back to Scotland, uh, enables uh, Scotland uh, not just to uh, take back control of uh, Scotland's spectacular fisheries, but also opens up markets for uh, Scottish agriculture around the world. Uh, I may tell the House today, Mr. Speaker, it's a historic day. Uh, because after 23 years in which every government, successive government has failed, uh, this government has managed to lift the ban on British beef in America. And, so, and Scottish, beef, uh, Scottish beef will be going uh, to the United States uh, thanks to the efforts of the British government, Mr Speaker. And I think that is a fact that he might, with advantage, uh, inform uh, his electorate in Scotland. I don't know what that was, Mr Speaker, but it certainly wasn't an answer to the question. And it's little wonder that the trust of the government is at 15% and falling after that performance. Here we go again, yapping, bumbling, mumbling, but no answer. Since he can't answer a straight question, I will tell the Prime Minister. Order. I expect the Prime Minister to be heard. I certainly want to hear the leader of the SNP, Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr Speaker. We're very used to Scottish voices being shouted down by the Tories in this place. A Tory government that casually and arrogantly breaks international law and breaks devolution, has shattered any remaining trust in this broken Westminster system. Mr Speaker, last night was a defining moment. If this attack on devolution fails to gain the consent of the devolved parliaments in Wales and Northern Ireland and Scotland, 
Will the Prime Minister withdraw this legislation or will he force it through against our wishes? Isn't the Prime Minister demonstrating yet again that the only way to defend our Parliament and its powers is by Scotland becoming an independent country? Uh, well, Mr Speaker, I think the, the Right Honourable Gentleman demonstrates once again that his, uh, his ambition is simply to uh, foment grievance where no grievance should, uh, should exist. All this bill does actually, actually is devolve uh, power back from Brussels uh, to, uh, to Edinburgh. It gives powers back to Edinburgh, which he should, which he should welcome. But more importantly than the powers, the people of this country aren't really interested in wrangling between people. What, it, that, what this bill does is it protects jobs, it protects growth, it protects, it protects trade in the United Kingdom. And that is the most important thing, and that's why he should support it. Dr Ben Spencer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Despite the many challenges of the COVID pandemic, one unexpected relief to many of my constituents has been reductions in noise and air pollution from the M25 during lockdown. Runnymede and Weybridge greatly benefits from the connections our motorways provide, but this comes at a cost. Does my right honourable friend agree with me that as we rebuild our economy, we must ensure that our infrastructure, the backbone of our country, is sustainable and minimises the impact on our communities? My honourable friend is absolutely spot on, and that's one of the reasons uh, and when he, he talks about the M25 and noise and pollution from the M25, we have a, a vision on this side of the of the House. This government uh, wants to ex- accelerate the introduction of uh, electric vehicles, of uh, zero emission vehicles, of quieter vehicles, uh, in order not just to reduce pollution but to reduce noise as well. And that's what we're going to do. Let's double numbers. From tomorrow, 2.3 million people in Wales won't be able to travel out of county without good reason. Yet people from lockdown areas in England can still visit rural Wales. Travelling from Betrosacoid to Begellet could land you with a fine. But Rochdale to Rosnega, no problem. Now, I raised this with the Prime Minister last week. Leisure travel from lockdown areas has got to stop. Will he make good on this today? Uh, I'm grateful to the Right Honourable Lady. Uh, there, are, there are different uh, measures in place, as, as uh, we've discussed already uh, this, this, this afternoon. Uh, but overall, the UK is proceeding uh, with the same approach, and I'm very grateful to, to Mark, uh, Drakeford, and uh, everybody else in the Welsh Government uh, for the way we're working, uh, we're working together to defeat the virus. Yes there, will be, though, yes, there will be some differences, and yes, there will be some seeming uh, illogicalities, which have that's inevitable, inevitable in tackling a pandemic. But I'm, I'm grateful for the cooperation that she is giving. Rob Butler. Thank you. Mr Speaker, my constituents in Wendover will be worst affected by the construction of Phase 1 of HS2, according to the House of Lords. The best mitigation for the village would undoubtedly be a bored mined tunnel, but that has been refused. Does my right honourable friend agree with this decision? And if so, will he ensure that HS2 Limited and its contractors work constructively with the Wendover HS2 Group to minimise noise pollution and avoid damaging the aquifer by other means? Well, uh, as, a, as a Prime Minister, I totally support uh, HS2 and the ambition of, uh, of linking our country up better. As a local MP, I feel his pain. Uh, and I understand exactly uh, where he's coming from. And uh, I've, I've been assured uh, in my conversations with HS2 that they are having uh, extensive engagement with the, the Wendover group. I know Wendover well, as he, as he knows. And uh, I will ask the, the relevant minister to make contact with him. 
Anera Wilson. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister has reportedly said that improving the lives of disabled people is a personal mission. But his Coronavirus Act has watered down the right to care for the most vulnerable, particularly the disabled, children with special needs and those struggling with mental ill health. So how does renewing the Act today in full <coughs> stack up today with his personal mission, never mind his conscience? And will he finally commit to working cross-party to replace these draconian laws to ensure that we both protect our most vulnerable and safeguard our liberties? Sure. Uh, uh, Mr Speaker, we are, we are making sure that everybody in our society gets all the, the protections that they need. I'm aware of the, uh, the easements that she refers to in the, uh, in the CARE Act, and uh, we're determined that uh, people should, uh, and that the necessity that uh, we temporarily had uh, to put them in, uh, we now need to make sure that we give everybody the protection that they need, and that's what, we're going to get, well, that's what this, this government will do. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I welcome the Prime Minister's announcement today on the UK's first hydrogen transport hub in Teesside, which will see the UK embrace a hydrogen fuel future, putting Redcar and Cleveland at the heart of developing this vital new energy source. Does he agree with me that this is exactly how, under this government, we will build back better and greener, creating new jobs and putting Britain at the forefront of this world-leading industry? Well, I, I thank my, my right honourable friend. I must say, I think that, uh, uh, that I'm hearing a lot of good stuff from the benches behind me about the clean green future, uh, the green industrial revolution that this, this country is embarked on. And I'm delighted that Tees Valley uh, will be the UK's first hydrogen transport hub. And I look forward to, uh, to joining him there before too long. Thomas Shepherd. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. The Prime Minister will know that next May there are elections to the Scottish Parliament. Uh, and I'm sure he will agree with me that the question of how Scotland is governed will be central to that campaign. Now, I know the Prime Minister is a keen student of the democratic principles, so can I ask him this? If the Conservative Party and other unionist parties are successful in that election in securing a majority of the seats in the Scottish Parliament, would he regard that as a mandate for the union? A simple yes or no would suffice. Uh, well, I'm a keen student of democratic principles, as the honourable gentleman rightly says, and I recall that there was a referendum in 2014 in which, uh, in which the people of this country, uh, the people of his, uh, people, of, people of Scotland, people of our country, voted uh, overwhelmingly, or by a substantial majority, to keep the union. Uh, it was a once-in-a-generation event, uh, as the leaders, the then leaders of the Scottish Nationalist Party, uh, acknowledged, and I, I think they were right then, and uh, we should stick with that. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister and I were both elected on a manifesto pledge to increase home building and to level up our country. And there is lots to welcome in the planning white paper. But the formula that's being used to allocate the homes seems to be doing the opposite. It's overshot in terms of numbers and the investment is concreting down rather than levelling up. So, could my right honourable friend commit that when the consultation closes tomorrow that he will pledge to change some of the elements of this, uh, dare I say it, uh, algorithm? Uh, well, I'm uh, grateful to my right honourable friend. What I can tell her is that we are, we are, we are going to ensure that uh, we have a planning system that is fit for purpose, uh, that allows us to give young people, for the first time in a generation, 
uh, the chance of, of home ownership, which currently uh, millions and millions of people are shut out from. That's what we want to do. But we think we can do it in such a way as to avoid desecrating our beautiful countryside, avoid desecrating our green belt. That is what we're going to do, and I hope very much that she supports it. Heading up to Alderman Saddleworth with Debbie Abrahams. Debbie Abrahams. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, with over 7,000 new cases and 71 deaths from COVID yesterday and a seven-day case average of 183 per 100,000 in Oldham, could the Prime Minister tell my constituents what he thinks his biggest mistake has been to date? Is it locking down too late, lifting the lockdown without a fully operational test track and isolate system? The billions wasted in backroom deals with the private sector on PPE that doesn't fit, test and trace that doesn't work, and more, or all of the above. Uh, I'm Mr Speaker, I'm uh, grateful for what she says. Uh, there will be plenty of time, of course, to go over all the decisions that the government has made, for which, as I've said repeatedly, uh, I take full responsibility. But what we're engaged on now, uh, and she's right to draw attention to the incidents in, uh, in her constituency, 183 per 100,000, uh, that is a serious increase. Uh, the position is not the emergency of March, but it is serious. And that's why uh, I hope that she will encourage her right honourable friend, the leader of the opposition, to support uh, more actively, uh, more, perhaps more consistently, Mr Speaker, uh, what, uh, put it that way, more consistently what the government uh, is doing and encourage her constituents that the best thing we can all do is to uh, follow the guidance. Hands, face, space, get a test if you have symptoms and where there are local where there are local measures that need to be in place look at the website and follow that advice mr speaker my right honourable friend and i have the privilege of representing areas with an honourable history of supporting refugees um, what plans does my right honourable friend have to mark the successful conclusion of the five-year syrian resettlement scheme regarded as giving the uk the international gold standard for refugee resettlement and providing safe legal routes to the UK and bolstering our efforts to deter human trafficking. Yeah. Uh, Mr Speaker, I think that the UK can be, and I thank him, uh, can be incredibly proud of what we have done to resettle uh, Syrian refugees. Uh, we've, done, uh, we've resettled more than 25,000 through safe and legal routes direct uh, from conflict zones, uh, Mr Speaker, and we will continue to meet our obligations uh, to those fleeing persecution and war around the world. Heading to South London with Janet Davey. Janet Davey. Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. The hospitality sector has already suffered hugely as a result of this crisis and is now facing further damage because of the Chancellor's decision to withdraw support. Nearly 200,000 jobs in the hospitality sector across London are now at risk. This includes over 800 jobs in my constituency of Lewisham East. Working people deserve a government that works for them. Instead, they're being told that their jobs are unviable. Why does the Chancellor and the Prime Minister think that these jobs just aren't worth saving? Minister. Mr Speaker, we're doing everything we can to save every job uh, in the country, and that's why, uh, that's why the Chancellor set out 
uh, the winter economic plan that he did. That's why we have the, uh, the job retention bonus at the end of, of January. But of course, things are tough, and as, as, Rich, as the Chancellor has said, and we cannot, I mean, alas, we cannot save every job, but we have the kickstart funds. Two billion pounds to support young people into work. Plus, we now have the lifetime skills guarantee to ensure that people can retrain for the jobs that are going to be created by this economy. Edwin. Mr. Speaker, yeah. as co chair of the Midlands Engine All Party, Party Parliamentary Group, I am determined to champion the Midlands Engine yeah. and make sure that the Midlands, yeah. the largest regional Such economy sure. outside of London, is not left behind in the government's levelling up agenda. Will the Prime Minister show a commitment to investing in the heart of our country yeah, and yeah. fire up the Midlands engine? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, uh, my honourable friend is completely right uh, in his vote for the Midlands engine, and that's why we're investing another £200 million, another £200 million in the Getting uh, Building Fund uh, into the Midlands engine re uh, region, and I'll be happy to write more, uh, more to him about uh, what we're doing uh, for levelling up in the Midlands uh, in the course of the next few days. Rick Whitley. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Last week, the Chancellor made a political choice to write off a million jobs as unviable. In my constituency of Birkenhead, that's over a thousand jobs at risk. And in the northwest, it's 141,000 jobs. This would be an unemployment on a scale even worse than under Thatcher. Can the Prime Minister tell the House why does he and the Chancellor think that's a price worth paying? Yeah. Uh, Mr. Speaker, this is completely to misrepresent what the Chancellor is trying to do. Uh, we are, we've already put, as, as, as I've just told the House, we've already put 190 billion pounds, 190 billion pounds into supporting livelihoods, into supporting people, into supporting families. We're going to continue to put our arms around uh, the people of this country. But the most important thing is to get the economy moving, uh, get people into work, and uh, at the same time to get kids, keep kids in school. But the only way we can do that is if we suppress the virus in the way that the government has set out, with the, the lockdown measures, the local lockdown measures that we've uh, announced, and with the national measures that uh, I hope are the subject of cross-party support. Boris Robertson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Does the Prime Minister believe in the value of local accidents and emergency units? And he, will he work to ensure the return of the A&E to Cheltenham General Hospital? The local hospitals trust has said it will return, but can he try to ensure that it returns sooner rather than later? Uh, uh, yes, indeed, Mr Speaker. And, uh, uh, I'm assured that the closure to which he refers is only temporary, and I would just remind him uh, that this is the government that is putting in the record the biggest ever uh, capital investment uh, in the NHS, £34 billion investment uh, in the NHS, to say nothing of the investments we've made just in the last nine months. And hopefully he can do Chorley at the same time. Neil Coyle. <laughs> Thank you, Mr Speaker. In January, the government was still pretending there were only 5,000 rough sleepers across the whole country. During the lockdown, 15,000 rough sleepers were supported under the Everyone In programme. Will the Prime Minister ensure that the homeless charities, councils and others who stepped up and provided accommodation in the crisis are funded for every single person they helped? Well, I, I, he raises a very important point. I think actually it was one of the uh, consolations of this uh, a crisis that we were able to prevent so many rough sleepers from uh, succumbing in the way that happened, alas, in, in other countries. I think that was a great effort by uh, the uh, communities, departments and, uh, and the charities working together. And Of course, uh, we will continue to do what we can to support those vital charities to prevent rough sleeping and, and homelessness. 
Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Rotary Club of Loughborough Beacon would like to pass on their thanks to the UK Government for being one of the top donors to the Global Polio Eradication Initiative, which has made Africa free from wild polio. Will the Prime Minister join me in congratulating Rotary and their supporters for their own monumental contribution to this effort, contributing over $2 billion and helping to vaccinate over 2.5 billion children around the world? Well, I, I thank my honourable friend because that is a, a classic and a fine example of the philanthropy and public spirit of the British people, uh, which has been shown clearly uh, throughout this crisis. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I know the Prime Minister refused to uh, recognise my figures last week, but my local housing provider, Stockport Homes, has a waiting list of more than 7,000 households. With Shelter saying that 200,000 renters are at the risk of imminent COVID eviction, Will the Prime Minister reinstate the ban on evictions to prevent an even bigger housing crisis in Stockport this winter? Well, Mr Speaker, we've changed the uh, law to ask uh, ask landlords to uh, provide tenants with at least six months' notice before eviction. Uh, We're not going to have evictions in lockdown areas and uh, there won't be uh, any enforcement of evictions over Christmas. We're also putting £180 million into discretionary payments for for local authorities to help hardship cases. But what we're also doing is embarking on a huge programme to build hundreds of thousands more homes, uh, particularly affordable homes, uh, that I hope his constituents will want to to buy and depart by. Final question, Jerome May. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The A47 Acles Strait is the main road, in fact it's the only road, that links Great Yarmouth to the great city of Norwich. It's a bottleneck and it's notoriously dangerous, and there's been a campaign to duel it for at least 30 years. And yet, the Highways Authority have just announced that they have no plans even to consider it for upgrade until 2030 at the earliest. What can my right honourable friend do to give hope to the people of Broadland and of Norfolk more widely that this inexplicable decision will be reconsidered? I can assure my uh, honourable friend that, uh, and I, 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 I appreciate the, the, the temporary disappointment that he uh, is experiencing, uh, but this is a government that is immensely ambitious for the improvement of our transport infrastructure and uh, uh, active consideration is now being undertaken uh, of that project. Again, I understand that that, uh, parliamentary colleagues are meeting with Baroness Veer, the roads minister, uh, this week to discuss the options uh, for additional schemes uh, from 2025 onwards.